Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. In most places in the U.S., there are multiple agencies that work with other agencies to get excess food into the hands of those who can best use it. Whether they work directly with food banks, social service organizations, shelters, and churches, or if they have their own collection and distribution system, these agencies often run into a similar problem. They have a ton in the way of non-perishable, boxed, or canned goods, and less in the way of fresh fruits and vegetables. Now, sometimes this is because they just don't have a way to store or distribute it. But oftentimes, it's simply a lack of donations of these items. One way to help your local agency is by growing a row, or several, or even a full garden, specifically for them. Today, we're going to talk about the logistics behind this, what items are often the best to grow, how to make it practical for you, the gardener, and how to successfully deliver the harvest to the people who need it the most. And sometimes, that might just be your neighbor up the street. Let's dig in. Hey, I'm Karen. I started gardening years ago in a small corner of my suburban backyard, then moved to a five-acre lot outside city limits and expanded that garden to half an acre. What started as a way to provide for my family turned into a love for digging in the dirt and providing for others. Slowly, my husband and I built our small homestead into a 40-acre market farm through lots of trial and error and successes and failures. Eventually, I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture, and along the way, I discovered there is power in food. So I want to share everything I've learned with as many people as possible. This podcast is all about helping you become a better gardener and a better eater. Whether you're a seasoned gardener or have never grown a thing in your life, I want to give you the knowledge you need to get the biggest and best harvest you can. So settle in, grab that garden journal, and get ready to just grow something. So, quick reminder about our upcoming 100th episode. I want this to be a collaborative episode between you and me. So, I'm hoping that you will all join me and come together and tell me who you are, where you garden, and what is the one thing that you wished you knew before you started gardening and why. I want to include all of your input and compile it all for our 100th episode. So you can get this information to me by going to the link in the show notes and leaving a voice message. And if you don't want to hear yourself on air, that's fine. Then go ahead and send me an email from uh, the contact page at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com or you can send it to me in direct message in uh, Instagram or Facebook or if you're in the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group, you can leave it there. Just get it to me however you can and get it to me by July 1st in order to be included in the 100th episode. I'm really looking forward to doing this with all of you. And along the lines of celebrating this show, do me a favor, pause this episode right now, if you can do so safely, like don't do this if you're driving or operating heavy machinery, but otherwise, pause this episode and go into the app that you're listening on and rate this show, please. I know it's mentioned in the outro, and I also know that there are a lot of you that are new to this podcast, and welcome, very happy that you're here, but that's also a lot of people who haven't given it a rating, And while this doesn't actually help the podcast get seen by more people, it does give them more confidence when they do find it to be able to listen to it if it's got a five-star rating. So if you could pause, 
right now and rate the show, that would be extremely helpful to me. And if you're feeling especially emote, you could also leave a review. That also doesn't really help the rankings, but I do love to see the feedback and I will totally read it on the show if you do. So if you could do that, that would be even more fun. Thank you. Let's dig into the DRL. What am I doing? In the gardens, we are slowly starting to transition from the spring gardens into the summer, which is actually amazing. This year, we've actually had an entire spring season with cooler weather and nice amounts of rainfall and really only one jump of the temperatures up into the 90s, and that was only for a couple of days or so, and then we dropped back down. Like, way down, which I can't remember the last time that this happened. I'm not sure it's ever happened the entire time I've lived in Missouri. Uh, Normally, we're jumping straight up into summer after maybe having two weeks worth of spring-type weather. So the spring gardens have been absolutely insane. Like, the, the greens have gone nuts, the bok choy and the kale and the chard and all of those things are just having a fabulous, fabulous run right now. So now we're easing our way into temperatures in the 80s with cool mornings and some warm sunny afternoons and then maybe a little rainfall overnight or in the wee hours of the morning, which of course is making it really humid. I'm a little concerned about that just from the tomato standpoint because tomatoes in the cool wet weather like that are often very prone to fungal diseases, especially where we are in Missouri. So that's one thing that I'm going to have to look out for. But I'm really just enjoying this slow transition from leafy greens into now the sweet peas and the root vegetables um, like the beets and the spring onions and such. And then we'll slowly get into carrots and then green beans and then, of course, those tomatoes and, and bell peppers and stuff that really love the heat. This has absolutely been a fantastic spring as far as the weather is concerned. I could not be more excited. And then one other thing that I'm doing is I am running my first obstacle course race this weekend. Uh, It's not that I haven't done obstacle courses before. I mean, I was a Marine, so, you know, actually enjoyed doing those things, but I've never done it as a race. And this isn't really a race. It's not a competition. It's a a group of us running friends that decided to do this um, on Sunday at at a course near us. And so it's nothing really competitive, but I'm sure it's going to be super fun. I'm super excited for it. Am I physically sort of trained for this? Absolutely not. (laughs) Like I said, I haven't been uh, weight training. I really haven't been running. I got a little bit of weight training in today, but um, I'll get there. And this is all just for fun. So So what am I reading? I'm still not reading a ton right now. I'm slowly still trying to work through Jenna Kutcher's book, How Are You Really? I'm reading a pre-release version, but I think the book actually launches at the end of June. So keep an eye out for that if you're interested. I'm actually really enjoying the book. It's just happening in very little bits at a time. And then what am I listening to? I've just started listening to a new podcast called Second Act Success with Shannon Russell. It's a pretty new one. It just started back in March. There's only a handful of episodes already out. But it's interviews and stories of women who have changed careers or started new businesses after already having a career or maybe being a full-time parent. Some of them have even started over like three times. 
this whole thing speaks to me because I feel like I've had multiple careers already and I'm always learning and growing and getting interested in new things and considering changing up what I'm doing. So um, it's nice to hear others who are doing the same thing. So that podcast again is Second Act Success with Shannon Russell. and Check it out. So on to the question of the week. Remember, I take these questions from what is frequently being asked of me at our market stand and online. And so if you have a question for me, please reach out by leaving me a voice message at the link in the show notes. Shoot me an email from the contact link at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com or send me a DM on Instagram or Facebook and I will answer it here. Well, I mean, I'll answer it there too, but then I'll share the answer with everybody so everybody can learn. So this week's question is, should I prune my tomatoes? There is no right answer for this. The answer is, it depends. And it depends on a lot of different things. What your goals are, what your growing conditions are, your style of gardening, and the type of tomatoes that you're growing. So if you're trying to decide whether to prune your tomatoes or not, think about what your goals are. If you're growing, say, beefsteak tomatoes, right, really big tomatoes, and you want really big tomatoes, then you're going to want to prune because pruning is going to take away those flowers and fruits that would develop on those suckers and allow the plant to focus all of its energy towards those already existing tomatoes, those larger tomatoes. More energy means a bigger tomato. Now, if you're not that concerned about that and you would rather have lots of smaller tomatoes, then you might decide to maybe not prune as heavily and allow some of those suckers to go ahead and flower and fruit. Now, the other thing to think about is your growing conditions. Uh, If you are in an area like we are here where you get lots of moisture, there's a lot of humidity, there may not be a whole lot of airflow in the middle of the summer. If you're not in an area that gets a nice breeze, you may definitely want to be pruning. Uh, Taking those suckers off is going to allow for more air to circulate in and around the plant. And that is going to help dissipate some of that humidity, dry out some of that moisture, keep some of that fungal disease at bay. So that might be one reason why you would want to prune. Another reason might be a lack of space. If you're growing full-size indeterminate tomatoes and you only have so much space to work with, you might be planting your tomato plants closer together, which means you're definitely going to have to prune those suckers off and keep those plants from competing with each other for the light and for the water and for the soil nutrients. You may also want to prune if you don't want to stake as much. Tomatoes that are pruned heavily, either down to a single liter, a single stalk, or two, generally only have to use one stake. And it's just, you're going to continue to tie it to that one single stake. You need to prune in order to be able to make that happen. But if you have a large trellis that you're working with or you're growing along a cattle panel or fencing of some sort and it doesn't really matter how much space or how much room that plant is taking up, you can tie it willy-nilly wherever, well, then you may not feel like you need to prune. 
You also may not want to have to manage the tomatoes very much. I mean, pruning takes some time, and it takes some time to go in there and find the suckers. It takes some time to pinch them off. If you let them go and you miss them, then you, you have bigger suckers. And if they get to that point, you have to clip them off instead of pinching them off, and you may leave an open wound. There's a lot of reasons why you know, pruning can take a little bit of management. If you only have a few plants, that's probably not that big of a deal, but if you're growing a lot of them, you may not want to have to manage that much. You also might be someone who has a very long growing season and not pruning is going to really increase your harvest. Remember, all of those suckers will eventually flower and fruit. So if you leave them, they're going to produce something. Now, if you have a long growing season, this is going to be later on down the road and you'll get to have, you know, several flushes of tomatoes throughout the season. But if you live in a short season area where you just need to get these tomatoes to maturity and get them harvested, then you more than likely are going to want to prune those suckers off so that that plant can focus all of its energy into the main set of fruit and get them ripened and to maturity so that you can get them harvested before you hit your first frost. Now, no matter what, make sure that you know what type of tomato plant you are growing. Is it an indeterminate or a determinate. If it's a determinate tomato, you do not want to prune. Remember, determinates set all of their flowers and all of their fruit one time, and they do it pretty much all at once. So if you prune, you are going to reduce your overall yield of that plant because they're not going to produce flowers again later on down the road. They're sort of a one and done. There are a few varieties like celebrities who are considered a semi-determinate or a semi-indeterminate that will do a second flush later on down the road. But for all intents and purposes, if it's a determinate tomato, do not prune it. Now, do I prune? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Um, I always pull the lower leaves and branches off of the bottom part of the plant just to encourage airflow and to deter disease. Like I said, in our area, the humidity, the cooler wet weather, oftentimes all of that will tend to lead us towards some tomato diseases, some fungal diseases. And so if I can increase the airflow at least around the bottom of the plant, then that generally helps. At the beginning of the season, I may let them go and just do their thing and not do any type of pruning. Part of this is just time. You know, we're busy doing a ton of other things. We're getting a lot of other crops going. We're doing a lot of other harvesting. And so it's not very advantageous for me to stop what I'm doing and go and prune tomato plants. But later on in the season, when they start to get a little bit unruly or it's getting harder to stake them or it's harder to get in and harvest the plants, if I start to see any signs of diseases, if I start to see that the fruit maybe aren't getting to the size that I want them to, then I'll begin pruning. Um, again, this is completely personal preference focused all around your particular gardening style, and uh, you can make that decision for yourself. There really is no one right answer. So let's talk about growing items in your garden specifically for donation. I'm going to start this conversation with the caveat that your local food bank or agency may not be set up to accept fresh food donations. 
Even in major metropolitan areas, the agencies involved in food distribution may not have refrigerated areas to properly store fresh produce items for their clients. Or if they drive the donations to where it needs to go, they may not have refrigerated trucks to move the produce in. So before you decide to venture into growing for charity, check to be sure that your donation is going to be welcome. We have several major food banks in our area on both the Missouri and the Kansas side of the state line. Some of them happily accept fresh food donations of any size. Others of them only accept them from large farms or distributors in bulk. So do a search for food banks in your area and just check with them. And I would suggest staying as close to home as possible. It may not be the biggest agency, but I say this for a number of reasons. If you live outside of a major city, you have a smaller town or a smaller county that you live in, the agency that is closest to you may be a very small one, which means that they're actually more likely to need your support. While they often will get donations brought in from the other larger agencies in the area, they often don't have corporate sponsors or underwriters. And that larger agency that funnels donations to them may only do it periodically. If they are part of that agency, it's likely to be canned and boxed goods a lot of the time. The supply of fresh produce often isn't there. And then regardless of the size of the agency, when you choose one that is closer to your home, you're directly impacting your own community. And then if it's closer to your home, the travel time from harvest to donation is shorter. So of course we've talked about, you know, the sooner it gets refrigerated, the sooner it gets eaten, the less you have in a reduction of the quality of the produce and the level of nutrients. So if you can get it from your garden and get it straight over to the agency and they can get it refrigerated, then it is at its peak of quality and freshness. Plus, smaller agencies are actually more likely to need and accept smaller donations. They may not require, oh, well, we need X number of bushels of whatever in order for it to accept a donation. They will happily take a few grocery sacks full of whatever you're pulling out of your garden. So our farm donates in a couple of different ways. At the end of every Saturday market, we have an agency called After the Harvest that comes through our largest market and actually collects donations from the vendors at the end of the market day. A lot of the time, this is stuff that just didn't sell, but for us, we actually will pack and bring extra items that we can donate to After the Harvest, and then they go and distribute it where it's needed. They're actually a really neat agency because they also coordinate gleaning at different farms. So they get their volunteers and they go out there and they strip the plants of everything that is left once the farmer is done with that field. So they're saving a lot of stuff from going to waste and they're getting it to the people who need it, which is fantastic. So we donate to them every single Saturday when they come by the market. We also donate to our local food bank where we live in our small community. Um, it's only open like the second and fourth Monday. So we will go in and we will drop off what we have at the very beginning of the week. And that serves everybody in town. And then we also donate in communities that we serve. So there's another city that we do a lot of deliveries to, and um, we drop off donations to their social services. We also, for the second year in a row now, have a Girl Scout troop 
who took some of their cookie money, like $900 of their cooking money, and they purchased a couple of RCSA shares, and they wanted that donated directly to the local social services office and their food bank. So we matched that donation as well. So we go ahead and drop off to them every single week while we're making our CSA deliveries. It's such a fantastic thing to see how excited these kids were that, you know, they, they did all this work and sold these cookies and they earned this money and then they're turning around and they're donating it to families who need it. It's fantastic. So we also give directly to families in need that either we know of personally or who maybe have been referred to us. It's done very quietly. We just sort of ask around or maybe we meet people at the farmer's market that we know are struggling and we start to just quietly drop a box off to them or we will put a little extra in their bag when they're shopping at the market. You just do what you can with what you've got, right? And then we also set up a stand at our low-income senior housing complexes here in the area so that they can use, they have um, vouchers that the low-income seniors can use at the farmer's market, but a lot of them can't get to the farmer's market. So we sort of bring the farmer's market to them so they can use their vouchers, but then we also sell it to them at a much reduced cost from what they would find at the farmer's market. So they kind of get almost a two-for-one deal when they're when they're doing this. So just different ways that we have figured out to donate produce and to grow extra and, and give extra wherever we can because we know that, I mean, heck, you know, as a single mom, I didn't have access to a lot of fresh foods um, and I was worried about it spoiling and going bad before I could use it. So that's not where I was putting my money. So I know that there's a lot of need out there. So if you have the ability, you know, um, I highly encourage you to grow something extra to be donated. And, you know, we have lots of room to do this, but maybe you have limited space and that's okay. Talk to the agency beforehand and be sure they can accept small donations of fresh produce and then plant your garden space for maximum impact. Heard someone say a podcast is like a garden. The gardener puts in the effort, but everybody benefits. I think that's pretty accurate. This podcast is a labor of love, and I hope that every one of you is reaping the benefits. If you get lots of great information from this podcast and would like to support it monetarily, you can do that by becoming a patron for as little as $2 a month over on Patreon. I'd like to thank my patrons for supporting this and every episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. And if you'd like to join them, go to patreon.com slash justgrowsomething. The link is in the show notes. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Of course, we always want to utilize the space in our garden to its maximum efficiency, right? But this is especially important when we're planning a bed or a garden space specifically for donation. You want to yield enough to allow for the agency to be able to distribute to as many clients as possible. The side note to this is if you've got specific information from the agency that says, hey, 
we don't need any more donations of X, Y, and Z, you know, this season because we get too much of it, or we specifically need X, Y, and Z because we never have it, well, then you can plan your garden based around the information that you get from the agency. But in most instances, I would say try to grow in the space where you're going to have the maximum amount of impact. So what do I mean by that? Take advantage of the space that you have. So things like leafy greens, right? The darker, the better, because we're going for nutritional value here, right? And you can grow a lot of greens in a fairly small space. You want to choose things, though, when you're growing greens that hold really well. So lettuces usually hold really well. Spinach holds well. Kale does really well once it's been harvested. Shard, on the other hand, tends to wilt quickly, for example. So maybe stay away from things like that that you know in your experience from growing haven't really held up as well. But you can get a lot of leafy greens in a very small space. Another thing to consider growing would be cabbages, both the regular head cabbages and the Asian types like Napa cabbage or bok choy. This is good because it's there's a lot of weight there. There's a lot of volume there. So one head goes a long way and it makes a lot of different meals. They can also be planted fairly close together and still yield very well. Other things that have a really high impact in a smaller space would be root vegetables. Beets and carrots, they hold really, really well, and they have, especially beets, a really good nutrient value. Plus, you can also eat the beet greens as well, so that kind of gives you a double whammy. Um, if you're in a rural area, maybe turnips. You know, there is a lot of people in rural areas that really like turnips. If you're in the city, you know, maybe salad turnips. They're smaller, and they grow really well in small spaces. You can also try doing short season items that allow the bed to be replanted to something else or that can be interplanted or both. So for instance, grow spinach under sweet peas. Those are both going to be done and harvested by the early summer. And then you can turn around and replant that same space to summer green beans. And then once those are harvested and pulled, you can go back into the fall leafy greens or some root vegetables. I mean, think of all the donations that you could make month after month from a bed that is planned out like that. And if you're in an area that can successfully grow squash <laughs> or cucumbers, those can be very high yielding for a long season. In our area, well, maybe not so much. I've talked to you guys about the challenges that we have growing zucchini and yellow squash and cucumbers and such out here. Um, but if you're in an area that doesn't face those same challenges, those are plants that are high yielding and continue yielding all season long so you can continue to make those donations. So those are things to think about too. Now some items that you may want to stay away from unless the agency is specifically requesting these items are the ones that have lower yield or that take up more room and that reduces their yield overall. So things like peppers, tomatoes, and eggplant. Again, they, they take up a lot of space. They only they take a while to really start getting producing and then they only produce for a certain amount of time and then they're done. 
If you really want to choose these items to grow for charity, then pick varieties that are high yielding, cherry tomatoes, or even the sauce type tomatoes like the Romas or the Amish paste or San Marzano's. Those have a tendency to come on hard and they come on fast and there's a lot of them. Um, Japanese eggplant, they are smaller and you get more fruit per plant. The smaller bell pepper varieties um, have a tendency to yield more per plant. And those sweet little snacking peppers, again, smaller, more fruit for plant. So you're getting a little bit more impact out of those if those are the things that you really want to grow. And then think about whether or not you can interplant those to increase the yield. So maybe starting out in the bed with lettuces and leafy greens and then interplant the tomatoes into that so once all the lettuce is harvested, then there's plenty of room for those tomatoes to grow. And then as the tomatoes continue on, you get into the fall, you can plant late lettuce under the tomato canopy and let them grow from there. This just gives you more opportunity to be able to collect and donate. So I would say in small spaces, avoid things that take a really long time to grow and they only yield once. Things like garlic and onions. If we're going to compare the bang for your buck, I guess you could say, nutritionally, um, these are things that aren't going to be a huge benefit compared to the amount that you'd be able to donate. It may not be the best use of space when you're growing it to give it away. But if you have a larger space available, I mean, the sky's the limit. Ask the agency what their dream crop would be. Do they ever get melons? Do they get sweet corn? This is only defined by how much effort you want to put into growing specifically for donation. Maybe you love having a huge garden, but you know you and your family don't go through nearly as much as you have fun growing. Then great, you can grow as much as you want and you can donate it. But for those growers who maybe don't have unlimited space or uh, really have to be meticulous about the way they're planning out their space, let's not make this into a big endeavor to start with. Literally, if you can just plant one extra row in one existing bed of something that you already plan to grow anyway, great. Then you just grow it right alongside what you were already planning on doing and you can harvest it and deliver it and then there, you're done. You don't have to make it complicated. Again, we don't want to start things off on the wrong foot and end up getting frustrated and giving it up. So if you can do one row, that's fabulous. If you can do one row in each of your beds, if you can spare that space, great. Or if you can spare that produce. Um, if you can manage to grow a bed specifically dedicated to donation, cool. If you can section off an entire plot that's planted and rotated and donated, great. Do what you can. You don't need to go overboard, especially the first year. If you end up being too ambitious, just like everything else, you may not enjoy it, and then you're gonna abandon the whole thing. What you can do though, Let's make it fun. If you do choose a specific bed dedicated to donating, then make a fun sign for it with the name of the food bank that you're donating to. Take a picture and share it with your friends, especially your gardening friends. This may encourage them to do the same thing. You can have a whole army of gardeners donating to your local food bank. That would be fantastic. And of course, if you've got kids, get them involved too. Make signs, have them decorate the bags or the boxes that you're gonna donate in. And of course, let them help in the garden. Share the idea with other parents and your parenting groups. Again, get everybody involved. The more you share what you're doing, the more impact you'll have, even if it's just one row that you can manage to add for the season. And it makes it fun. 
Plus, you know, sharing it also helps keep you accountable. <laughs> you do have to weed this and you do have to tend to it. So if you've told everybody you're going to do it, yeah, you're more likely to do it. So once you've figured out what you want to grow, let's talk about harvest and transport. Just like our own gardens, you want to harvest your row for donation in the cool of the morning before the heat of the day has had time to set in. I mean, in the early spring, this oftentimes isn't much of an issue, but we start to get towards the middle of the summer, it definitely is an issue. It's also an issue because you're going to be transporting it. So if you can, store it in the fridge until you are ready to transport it if you are unable to bring it right away. But you always really want to aim for harvesting and delivering on the same day. Remember, the longer that that vegetable has been off of the vine or out of the garden after it's been cut, then the more quickly it starts to deteriorate and the more nutrients it starts to lose. And the whole goal behind this is to feed people nutritionally. So think about how far away you are from where you're going to be delivering. If it's going to be a little bit, use coolers with ice when you're transporting it, especially in the heat of the summer. And then think about what you're going to be donating in. Don't expect to get bags or boxes back from the agency. So collect things that you can give away that won't be a burden on the agency. Cardboard boxes and paper grocery sacks, these are great. Just make sure that they're clean and sanitary. If you're not sure about what they might want, ask. Always, always ask the agency. They will tell you what they can and cannot do. And some agencies do have boxes and bags that they will give you if you ask, but this costs money and resources, and those that money and resources would be better used towards the clients that they serve. So do what you can to provide your own things to, to donate in. And, you know, donating produce doesn't necessarily have to be to an agency. Do you personally know somebody in need, somebody, an elderly couple in your neighborhood, somebody who is chronically ill or low income? They would probably appreciate being able to accept some fresh produce from you on a regular basis. This can be a little tricky. I get it. It can be a very sensitive subject with people. So how do you approach them asking if they would like to receive fresh produce? I, in my experience, the, the easiest way to do this is to say, hey, you know what? I garden and I grow way too much for myself and my family. May I share it with you? That's the easiest way to do it. And then I would ask them what they and their family like to eat. I, again, going back to when, you know, my kids were younger and when I was a single mom trying to work and trying to take care of the kids and, and everything else that goes along with that. There are a lot of things that I wouldn't have known what to do with. I didn't know what a kohlrabi was. I wouldn't have known what to do with an eggplant. And I honestly wouldn't have had the time to figure it out. So if somebody were to bring me a grocery sack full of produce from their garden, um, I would certainly be very happy and very accepting of it. But I would be even happier if it was all stuff that my kids actually ate or that I knew what to do with. So this is going to be a different approach rather than donating in bulk. You know, a lot of people, they just don't need tons of one thing every few weeks. So, you know, bringing them a whole harvest of, of carrots or something may not be as good as bringing them a variety once a week. You know, so a grocery sack full of just mixes of what you're growing in your garden. Maybe pick a few people who could benefit and share the harvest with them on a rotating basis. 
You know, but like I said, keep in mind, not everybody uses as much fresh produce as somebody that gardens. Uh, this was one of the things that we actually ran into problems with when we were setting up our CSA, was trying to figure out exactly how much to give people in their box. What does a single individual, you know, go through in a week? What does a couple, what does a family of four go through? And it varies, obviously. You know, I mean, a single person who eats mainly vegetables and who doesn't eat out a lot may go through as much in a week as a family of four who really only eats the fresh vegetables as a side dish for their evening meal and they eat out quite frequently. So you may have a single parent with a very young kid who grew up on processed foods and has no idea what, like I said, what to do with an eggplant and just doesn't have the time to figure it out. Or you may have an elderly couple in the neighborhood who don't really eat much at all. And even though they love turnips, they can only use a few each week and not a box full. So find out what your neighbors want and need and work with them if you can. It's worth it. And at the same time, you're getting to know your neighbors and you're growing your community. And that, well, that's priceless. Listen, if you enjoyed this episode or any of my episodes and you know somebody who would benefit from it, please share it. There are ways to do this from my website and in all of the podcast apps, and it sure helps with the reach of the show. And if you're looking for more food and ag-related podcasts, remember that this show is a part of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network, and there are a bunch of other shows in the network that you can check out. The easiest way to do this is by going to the Positively Farming Media playlist that I will link to in the show notes. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden, and I will talk to you again soon. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. For more information about today's topic, head on over to JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com for all the episodes, show notes, blog posts, discount codes, and more. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. You can also head to Facebook and join a community of other gardeners asking questions and sharing their experiences in the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group. And if you want to support this show even further, head to Patreon.com slash Just Grow Something to find out how. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep learning, keep growing, and we'll talk again soon.